Well, just a couple of things before we continue on with our morning to let you know about. The first and most important is that next week we are beginning our 2020 vision series. This is something that we do every year as a church community, and I really, really believe that it's more important this year than it ever has been before. See, with the disorientation of a time like we've been in these last few months, it's easy to forget why we're doing all of this. It's easy to forget who we are, what our priorities are. And so I am really excited uh, to start our vision series next week. And I know this online thing, you know, there's weeks where we're excited about it and others less so. Uh, But would you join us? Like, would you commit for the, uh, I believe, five weeks of our vision series to be with us every morning, uh, every one of those gatherings. Um, Even though we're still in this online reality, I think it's important for us to remember who God is and who we are in light of those things. So join us next week uh, for the start of our vision series. And if you were able to join us uh, last week for our in-person gathering, probably you had the same feelings that I did, which were that that was a rich, rich time together. We're going to try and do some more things like that over the course of the fall. And so stay tuned because in the next week or two, you'll be hearing more information about our next in-person gathering. We're just confirming some details about what that will what that will look like. So uh, stay tuned for information on that because you'll want to um, book that off and join us. It's just great, the opportunities that we have to be together in real life. Um, so stay tuned for information on that. Coming to the end of summer, if you're like me, there's these ways that you recognize in, in perhaps more more pointedly God's goodness. Maybe you had some some the opportunity to go away. I know that looked different for many people, but go away for some holidays or take some extra time with family. It's just easy to easier to remember to point out the the good things that God has given us. You know, God freely gave of himself through the person of Jesus and his death and resurrection on our behalf. And he gives us all these good gifts, both big and small, freely. And we want to be the kind of people who give back to God and are generous in the same way that he is. That's one of the reasons that every week we as followers of Jesus, when we gather together, remind each other to be generous. And one of the ways we do that is by by giving to the church. Uh, in a moment, you're going to see all the different ways you can do that. Um, but I just encourage you to reflect on that this morning, how freely God has given gifts to us and that we might be the same kind of people. Good morning, and welcome to uh, Church of the City. This morning, we're going to dig into what's called the priestly prayer or the high priestly prayer, someone referred to it. It really is one of the recorded prayers of Jesus in the Gospel of John, chapter 17. And the feature or the focus that I really want you to hold in your mind as we spend some time together in the passage is that you were in the mind of Jesus as he was praying 2,000 years ago. It's powerful. 
to really think that God, before he went to the cross to accomplish your salvation and mine, was actually thinking, uh, maybe not individually, that might be a little bit broad from the text, but collectively about who was going to be one through the grace that he accomplished on the cross of Calvary. Now, as we do that and we prepare, the first thing that we need to do is invite God into this because it's his word and it's his spirit that will lead us into things he wants us to know and understand. So let's pray. Father, thank you that you are able to take your word and that by your spirit, you are able to lead us into an understanding of it, that you'll take us deeper into your purpose and your plan, that you will remind us of things that we've long known but maybe forgotten, that you'll teach us some new things that would increase our understanding and help us to walk in a way as maturing followers of Christ. We would pray that people who are seeking after you would find you and those who know you would grow deeper. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. As we dig into the passage, there's a couple of things I want to ask you to consider to start. The first is, what are you grateful for this week? Just hit the pause and think for a few minutes and complete the sentence. As I think about my week, I'm grateful for... You see, gratitude is a gateway into God's presence. Gratitude is a gateway into God's peace. As we think on these things and mull these things, Paul writes in Philippians, the God of peace will be with you. It's one of the things I'm very grateful for is how God moved our youngest daughter, Ruth, and her husband, Dan, and their two twins, after five years of living in Vienci and Laos, back to Canada to complete quarantine and to live with us. And we're really enjoying that. It's a treat for us to be together. Now, the second question I want you to consider is you complete this sentence. What is stressing you out this week? Stress and identifying what's burdening us is a gateway into intercession. It allows us to pray for each other. It allows us to bear one another's burdens. It might even allow us to meet the need that has been raised. And this is a way that the church practices loving one another, supporting one another, and bearing one another's burdens. For myself, as I thought about this, one of the things that I wouldn't say it was stressing me out, but it was certainly occupying a lot of my thinking, is six people, when it had up to this point just been two, six of us sharing the same homes and living in the chaos of two little twin boys, a daughter and her husband, and Don and I together in the same place. And while it's gone remarkably well, and we're really grateful, as I just shared, there have been a few times where that honestly has kind of stressed me out. So what has stressed you out? What are the things that have burdened you this week? Now let's dig into the passage of God's word that he has for us today. I'm going to read these verses, and then we're going to use the very simple Discovery Bible Study tool or approach to digging into the passage and reflecting on it and really considering what God wants for us, what God wants us to know, how he wants us to apply this passage in everyday living. So the passage of scripture that we've chosen is from John chapter 17, and I'm going to read verses 20 down to the end of the chapter, verse 26. This is how it reads. 
This is, these are the words of Christ in prayer. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you've loved me from the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I have made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Now, what I want you to consider as we've thought about these verses or as you've listened to them, maybe for the first time this week, the question I'm asking you is to reflect on these words, the, the prayer of Christ, and here's the question. What do we learn about God from these verses? Take a few moments and talk between yourselves, or maybe even make some notes and write them out. What do we learn about God in these verses? As we read and discussed these maybe in your groups, I'm sure a number of important things stood out in this passage about what you learned about God today. But what I want to do is just take a few things out of these verses that really stood out for me and just add those to the things that you've discovered. The first thing that really stood out for me in verse 20 was when Jesus said, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. And here's the takeaway for me. God cares about us. Isn't that remarkable? Now, we might think if we had an impending trial or an impending torture that we knew was going to come up or an agony that we had to face, like a surgery without anesthetic, maybe we wouldn't be thinking about anything in the future. We'd be so focused on the pain that is soon coming right now. But what's remarkable about this is that when Jesus was praying to his father, he was talking about us. He was talking about our lives. He was talking about we, uh, you and I, as his followers. And God cares about us. So think about it this way. We were in the heart and on the mind of Jesus as he was talking to his father about what he was achieving on the cross. Now that's amazing. When you and I stop to think about it, that we matter enough to God that we appear in his prayer 2,000 years ago. Because he wasn't just praying for his disciples, he says in verse 20, not just for those that were currently following him and were soon to be scattered because of all the pain and suffering and trauma they had experienced, but he was also praying for us who were going to believe in the words of the gospel. Wow. Allow that to sort of settle in your heart that you have been in the mind of God from the very beginning and that you were in the mind of God ahead of his crucifixion. 
you were on his heart and you matter to him. He writes, Father, I desire, or he says in these verses that are written, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you've loved me from the foundation of the world. This is the second thing that really jumped off the page for me. Jesus is looking forward to sharing with us the glory that belonged to him before he was born into this world to accomplish the salvation that he's going to accomplish on the cross. Now, I don't know how many of you have seen an episode of an extreme makeover, but what's danced into my brain as I was thinking about this is that Jesus isn't going to shout at the Father, move that bus. But what he is going to say is, Father, um, this is what I've been longing to do. Introduce all my followers to you and to allow them to see me as I really am. Think about that. Because in a small way, if we make the comparison to an extreme makeover, God is going to give us this huge reveal. It's like the curtains are going to be pulled back and we will see Jesus in his unfettered, unveiled glory. It'll be amazing. As a man, absolutely, confined to a body just like us, but we are going to see him without any of the things that would eclipse who he really is by nature. We're going to see Jesus in a way that maybe we've dreamed about, maybe we've wanted, but we haven't fully been able to understand. So there's going to be this huge reveal in heaven. And as Jesus is praying in advance of the cross, he's saying, I can hardly wait to introduce all of these, my followers, our people, our family, to you and to allow them to see us as we really are. A place in which we'll have real bodies and real active lives. And he has always planned for this and he desires it. And one day it's going to be ours. Now there's a third thing that stood out for me. And that's in verse 26 where Jesus says, I've made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known to them that the love with which you've loved me may be in them and I in them. And what I'm seeing in this passage of scripture for all of us and for myself in particular in seeing who God is, well, he's the missionary God. He has always had on his heart and mind a desire to bring back a broken creation into his glory and fullness. He makes it his purpose and work to be known. And when he says, I, I, Jesus says, I want them to really know who you are. I want them to really understand your name. He's talking about God's character. He's talking about God's attributes. He's talking about his power. He's talking about seeing his works fully and understanding them. And what he's saying is, my whole goal was that people would get to know who you are, Father, by what it is I do in obedience to your plan. You see, what this means is that when we get to heaven and we're standing in the presence of God, and it should start even now, we can honestly say to him, there is no one like you. I could never have dreamed this up for myself. I could never have imagined walking into the throne room of heaven and saying, God, I've got a good idea for you. Wouldn't it be great if you found a way to redeem Dave? But that's what Jesus did. The Father, together with the Son and the Spirit, 
devised a plan that said, this is what we're going to do and this is what it's going to cost. Jesus, you're going to be born in human form and you're going to take the place of Dave Martin and everyone else that is willing to believe in you. And Jesus, you're going to take the full weight of the judgment that they deserve in your body on the cross so that by faith in me, they can become our forever family. And I'm willing to do that because what God gets to be known in all of this is that only he could do this. Not only could he dream this, desire this, want this, but he could achieve it through his son. And his son was willing to do it for us. So what pops out for this in this passage of scripture for me is that he has been making God the Father known as this kind of a God who could have dwelt in unparalleled glory and beauty and holiness and joy forever as the three triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, the one being in three expressed persons. But he wasn't willing to do it because he wanted to showcase his nature and glory by being our Redeemer, our Father, our friend, our indwelling spirit. That's a wow. And that's who God is in this passage for us. I want you to look at these verses another way. And I want you to ask a second question. And it's this one. What do we learn about us? What do we learn about us as followers or as potential followers? What do we learn about us as human beings in this passage of, script, of Scripture? So read the passage again and answer that question. This is what I learn about us, about me, about mankind in the passage. Now, here we are back again, and probably a lot of things jumped off the page for you, as it did for me. I just want to bring two into focus for you, and they're found in the same verse. They're both found in verse 20. And, and these are the, the words especially that jumped off the page for me. But also for those who will believe in me through their word, meaning the, the words of the first disciples and the apostles who shared the gospel. And what stands out is that we as human beings, so mankind is the object of God's love and the object of his missionary zeal. He came onto this planet for this express purpose to bring us to himself so that we can believe and join him as his forever family. So who is mankind according to this passage? We are the objects of God's love and redemption. That's who you are. That's who I am. We're an object of God's affection, attention, and redemption. Now, there's a second thing. Because he expects us to join him. Because this is what he says. I don't ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. And the idea is not just the first generation of people who will believe, but all the successive generations. So it's from generation to generation to generation. I love the line that says, God has no grandchildren. He only has children. Meaning it's every individual who puts their faith and confidence in the work of Jesus, who becomes part of God's forever family. And so the second thing that we learn about this is that we've got the pleasure to partner with God and to join him in making his great name known. 
He actually says that in many different ways in the passage. He's actually saying to us that when we join together and we allow the love of God to indwell us in Christ, the, the secondary thing that happens with that is that love spills out into the family and we love one another. But the third thing that happens is that people will look at us and say, wow, that's what God had in mind is creating a group of people who were not naturally inclined to care for each other and love one another. And look what he's done. Look how that's transformed them. I get a little bit tired, actually, of people who criticize the church. Because it's easy on the outside of any family to criticize its imperfections. But one of the things that they miss is that they miss that the church is in process of transformation. They're growing up in maturity and redemption. One of the, the things I want to answer the critics who say, wow, the church is missing out and it's full of hypocrites is, you should have seen us yesterday. You should have seen us last week. You should have seen us last year. In other words, we're not where we started because the work that God is doing in us is transforming us. Now, should we continue to be transformed? Of course. And that's where we can learn from our critics is we shouldn't be so high-handed to think the work is all done. We've got some progress we can make. But one of the things in this passage of Scripture that God invites us to do is to join him in his plan, his missionary zeal, to share with more and more people around us the transforming love of Christ that's changed us from the inside out. We don't need to persuade people. We just need to show people. Now, I'm not saying that there isn't room for apologetics in the teaching of God's word. But I'm also reminding you and I that we're living letters, that people see the gospel lived out in our behavior, our attitude, our choices to love each other. And it really works like this, that the world will look at us and go, wow, when I look at what those people used to be and what it is that God has made them now, I can't deny that there's something going on inside of them. Look how they love each other. Look how they care for each other. Look how they serve one another. And look, they've got all kinds of reasons they wouldn't want to do that. And they're choosing to do it because they claim God is loving them. That's the story here. And that's what I want us to walk away with, is that Jesus expects us to be open with others about what we believe. But at the bottom line, Jesus expects us to showcase the power of the gospel in changed relationships. In his prayer, Jesus anticipates we, the ordinary people who constitute and make up Church of the City, are going to be talking about the difference that Jesus has made in our lives and demonstrating that difference in our relationships with each other. And then anticipating the big reveal that one day when we're in the presence of Jesus, He's going to say, I did this for you. Welcome into my joy and see who I really am. So think about this for a moment. Who in your area of influence, maybe a friend, a colleague, a person you go to school with or do business with, maybe it's a neighbor or someone else that you are on a sport team with in some other context, but who do you know really needs to see this in you and hear this from you? Maybe you can make a plan right now today about who it is that you know would really benefit from learning what you just learned and really prizing what you're prizing about who God is, about who we are as humans, 
and about what God has in store for us, his plan. Why don't you make a plan and a decision to live openly in the light as he's called you to be in the light and to share that with one other person this week. Friends, we're going to celebrate communion, so you might need to pause this and go and get the elements that you want to use. We've got some juice and I've got a cracker here. And as we're doing it, there's two things I want to re- you to reflect on as we come to the table this morning. Um, the table of the Lord, or communion as it's often called, or, or the Lord's Supper. That there are just two elements that we're called to use to remember who Jesus is and what he did. And this passage of scripture has just been a great reminder for who God is and for who we are. And the first is that we're told that we should take bread and give thanks, just like Jesus did, and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said, you should eat this in remembrance of me. So when we're eating this, what are we remembering? Well, the first thing I want to tell you is we're remembering that it cost Jesus all of him to redeem all of me. He was all in. He laid down his life. So when I eat this bread in remembrance of Jesus, I'm remembering that if he hadn't died, I would have no hope. And because he died, I'm remembering it was life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. He laid down his life so that I could belong to him. And so that's why communion is really the great leveler of the church. Because the pastor, as well as the first day believer, comes to Jesus the same way. There's no distinction and there's no difference. We are all in because Jesus paid the supreme price for us. So when I eat this bread, I'm saying, Jesus, I believe that you really lived. I believe you really died. I believe you gave your life for me. So now eat this bread in memory of Jesus giving thanks to him. The second element that we have in communion is called the cup. And it's sometimes a little glass of juice, sometimes it's a glass of wine. The important piece is that we also think about what this represents. Jesus says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. The way I want you to think about it this morning is it's like we're reading the final or the last will and testament of Jesus. That after he's died, the will is written, it has been written and it's going to be read. And this is what Jesus says to you and I. Because of my death, you're in. I've written you in the Lamb's book of life. I've recorded you. You belong to me. Because you belong to me, I'm going to share my glory with you. Where I am, you're also going to be. Because of the grace I'm able to give you through my death, my spirit's going to be in you. I'm going to give you a gift. I'm going to lead you in life. All of that is written in the Lamb's blood. So when we drink this cup, we are remembering. Not only has he pardoned us through his physical death, but he's granted us new life and hope and gifts and love and belonging. Not only forgiveness and grace, but a future, a hope, heaven. 
So as you drink this, remember that this is only possible through the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, it was great to hear another voice from our community this morning. Thanks, Dave, for the the time and preparation that you put into that. That'll be one of the unique and wonderful things about uh, this season where uh, Matt is not with us. Matt and Andrea are beginning their 12-week sabbatical, but we'll have the opportunity to hear from lots of different voices in our community, and I'm excited about that. I hope you are as well. Let's pray, and uh, then we'll conclude our time together this morning. King Jesus, we believe, we've always believed that you are our shepherd. And we recognize that in in a a sharper way uh, at the start of Matt's sabbatical, where we'll be without our pastor of teaching and vision for a season. Uh, But we know that Matt uh, is an under-shepherd, is a shepherd who who, uh, responds to your leading and guiding and your voice as our chief shepherd. That has not changed, Jesus. And so would we press in to your leading and guiding of our church in this season. We love you. Go with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, everybody.